to go to kpfk.org. Have you got one of those telephone things? 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. This is Greg Dallas. This is KPFK. 90.7 FM. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Get ready for the revolution. What you say? KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. formally declares his candidacy for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States, and Fox News pays instead of going to trial. Here are today's headline news. First in-person public meeting of the City of Los Angeles Reparations Advisory Commission, L.A. County approves affordable housing in Westwood, International news from outside the NATO control media sphere. Commentary with Pedro Baez about gun violence. Dan Nauman brings us Bill Mayer and Russell Brown in a great interview. And the community calendar, all this and more coming up. Good evening. I'm Angela Birdsong. Emilio Salas, executive director of the Los Angeles County Development Authority, submits a letter dated April 18th, 2023, was seeking approval from its board of commissioners and the L.A. County Board of Supervisors to issue multifamily housing revenue bonds to finance the development of housing for homeless veterans on the West Los Angeles Veteran Affairs Campus, which is located at 11301 Wilshire Boulevard in the unincorporated county of Los Angeles County. Century Housing Corps is positioned to receive $41,638,300 in bond financing for site acquisition, construction, rehabilitation, and development of the West L.A. VA buildings 156 and 157. The project will incorporate the reuse of two existing buildings, 156 and 157, formerly used as a medical clinic and office that have been vacant for 50 years. The project will provide 112 units of permanent supportive housing as part of the overall West Los Angeles Veterans Affairs Campus Affordable Housing Initiative. Of the 112 units, there will be 96 studio units and 14 one-bedroom units reserved for households between 30% to 50% of area median air income and two-bedroom two units of managers' units. The project will include over 100,000 square feet of space for community-wide amenities and services. The holistic and cohesive neighborhood will provide veterans with close access 
to healthcare on the West Los Angeles Veterans Affairs Campus, as well as services aimed towards promoting recovery, wellness, and sustainability. It has been recommended to the both both boards that adoption of the resolutions is not subject to the provisions of the California Environmental Quality Act because the action will not have the potential of causing a significant effect on the environment. According to the request, there is no impact on the county general fund. The bonds will be repaid solely through rent revenues collected by the borrower, Century Housing Corps, who will pay all fees and related costs. The proposed action is a necessary step to provide bond financing for the project, which will increase the supply of housing for homeless veterans. In addition to the documents, it shows the proposed action is a necessary step, um, which will increase um, the, the homeless veterans, according to, to the report. Only two public comments were received for agenda item number 48, one in favor of the resolution and one opposing who suggested that federal bonds should be used. You can view the County of Los Angeles Board of Supervisors weekly agenda on their website at bos.lacounty.gov. AP News reported Fox News agreed Tuesday to pay Dominion Voting Systems nearly $800 million to avert a trial in the voting machines company's lawsuit that would have exposed the network promoted lies about the 2020 presidential election. The stunning settlement emerged just as opening statements were supposed to begin abruptly, ending a case that had embarrassed Fox News over several months and raised the possibility that network founder Rupert Murdoch and stars such as Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity would have to testify publicly. Truth matters. Lies have consequences, Dominion lawyer Justin Nelson told reporters outside a Delaware courthouse after Superior Court Judge Eric Davis announced the deal. Outside of the $787.5 million promise to Colorado-based Dominion, it was unclear what other consequences Fox would face. Fox acknowledged in a statement the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false, but no apology was offered. We are hopeful that our decision to resolve this this dispute with Dominion amicably instead of the acrimony of a divisive trial allows the country to move forward from these issues, Fox said. Its lawyer and representatives offered no other comment or details about the settlement. Asked by a reporter whether there was anything to this other than money, Dominion CEO John Polos did not answer. Dominion has sued Fox for $1.6 billion, arguing that the top-rated news outlet damaged the company's reputation by peddling phony conspiracy theories that claimed its equipment switched votes from former President Donald Trump to Democrat Joe Biden. Judge Davis, in an earlier ruling, said it was crystal clear that none of the allegations about Dominion aired on Fox by Trump allies were true. 
Doing a deposition, Murdoch testified that he believed the 2020 election was fair and had not been stolen from Trump. Some of the exhibits were simply embarrassing, such as scornful behind-the-scene opinions about Trump, whose supporters formed the core of the network's viewers. Text exchanges revealed as part of the lawsuit show Tucker Carlson declaring, I'd hate him passionately and saying that we are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. In its defense, Fox said it was obligated to report on a president who claimed he had been cheated out of reelection. We never reported those to be true, Fox lawyer Aaron Murphy said. All we ever did was provide viewers the true fact that these were allegations that were being made. Dominion has sued both Fox News and its parent company, Fox Corps, and said its business had been significantly damaged. Fox said the company grossly overestimated its losses before agreeing to pay half, about half of what Dominion had asked for. But Fox legal problems may not be over. It still faces a defamation lawsuit from another voting technology company, Smartmatic. Its lawyer, Eric Conley, said Tuesday the Dominion's litigation exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest. Longtime environmental lawyer and public health advocate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. formally declared his candidacy for the Democratic nomination for president in next year's election. Don DeBar was at the announcement in, in Boston Wednesday and filed this report. I've come here today to announce my candidacy for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. That was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announcing his candidacy for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States in the 2024 election. My mission over the next 18 months of this campaign and over my, throughout my presidency will be to end the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is threatening now. is threatening now to impose a new kind of corporate feudalism on our country, to commoditize our children, our Purple Mountain's majesty, to poison our, our children and our people with, with chemicals and pharmaceutical drugs, to strip mine our assets, to hollow out the middle class and keep us in a constant state of war. He made the announcement in downtown Boston, Massachusetts, surrounded by about a thousand people, and he was introduced by two-time presidential candidate, former Representative Dennis Kucinich of Ohio. Kucinich declared himself a Kennedy Democrat, pointing to his promise to change radically the U.S. military posture around the world generally, and in particular, his position on the war in Ukraine. Meanwhile, one of the main themes of Kennedy's speech was the polarization among the American electorate and population in general, and he said 
he has an idea about how to resolve that. When we fight each other, when blacks fight whites and Republicans fight Democrats and rural fights urban, the people that merger of corporate power that sits at the top is loving the fighting between us, among us, so that they can strip mine our country. And the thing that keeps us... The reason truth is so important, when I was a little boy, nobody in this country would dream that our government would ever lie to the American people. In fact, and that's not a joke, nobody believed it back then. In May of 1960, that changed a little. When Gary Powers crashes U2 in Russia and the Eisenhower administration denied that we had a U2 program because they didn't, they didn't know at the time that the Russians had captured Gary Powers. And when, when the Russians produced them, it was a shock to the American people that their government had lied to them. And then during the Vietnam War, of course, we all began to suspect that we were being lied to in 71. When the Pentagon Papers came out, we realized, oh, this is what they do. My father, just before he died, told me very sadly, people in authority lie. And the government now lies to us. We all know it. We take it for granted. When my uncle left office in 19, when he died in 1963, about 80% uh, of Americans said they trusted their government. Today, 22% uh, trust their government, and 22% trust the press, the lowest level ever. The media is at the lowest needed because we know the media lies to us now, and everybody knows that. And the problem is, and, and, so, and the problem is that when the, the, the uh, when their sources of information that we're always used to and that we need to rely on in a democracy. When they start lying to us, Americans look for other sources because they know they're being lied to and they look for other sources of the truth. And when the media and the, you know, the corporate captive media and the corporate captive government sees other sources of truth, they have to brand those misinformation because they threaten their paradigm. They threaten that orthodoxy. And, and of course there is a lot of genuine misinformation, but as we know, a lot of the misinformation is just statements that depart from government orthodoxy, so they have to either censor us or they have to lie about what's true and what's not true. And that amplifies the polarization. It, it amplifies the hatred, the fear, the insecurity, because you know you're being lied to and then you're being silenced. The censorship doesn't work from any point of view, and it's very, very dangerous. My father, 55 years ago last month, I sat as a 14-year-old boy behind my father as he announced in the Senate caucus room in Washington, D.C., his campaign for presidency of the United States. And my father at that time was in the same, in many ways, in the same position that I'm in today. He was running against a president of his own party. He was running against a war. He was running against, a, he was running at a time 
of unprecedented polarization in our country. And he had no chance of winning. My father, when he declared, had not a single molecule in him that he believed that he could win the Democratic nomination. Why is that? He had run his brother's campaign in 1960. Eight years before. But now Now, all the unions were against him, with two exceptions, United Auto Workers and Cesar Chavez's United Farm Workers. The, the liberal press was 100% against him, from the New York Times to the Village Voice. The labor union, the, uh, the big city mayors were against him, including Mayor Daley, who had played a critical role in President Kennedy's nomination. The, all of the people in the, the New Frontier who were his closest friends, were now working for the Johnson White House. So they were against him. The only people that he had with him, even the universities were against him, because they were with McCarthy, the, the, the group of Hollywood, like Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman, who had been very close to him, very worked very hard for my uncle in 60, uh, were now working for McCarthy. And my father in the universities, my father, my father used to say that the, he, that McCarthy had all the A students and he had the B and C students. <laughs> and, um, and so the only people he had were people, uh, poor white people in rural areas like Appalachia, poor blacks and, uh, in the Delta and in our cities in Watson, Harlem, and, uh, and East LA, and Indians on the Indian reservations, and that was kind of it. But that hopelessness in his campaign freed him to tell the truth to the American people. So he went, when he went to Indiana University and the medical students said to him, who's going to pay for your health care program? He said, you are. And when he went to Creighton University, in, which is a Catholic university in Omaha, and they asked him whether he would support their deferments, he said no. The firmest were the reason most of them were in college, because that was the only way you could get out of Vietnam. And he said no, and they booed him. And he said, do you think it's fair that 45% of paratroopers in Vietnam are black? Do you think it's fair that we are sending black children to fight this war? Because they can't get their, their kids into college. I can get my 10 kids into college and get them out of the war if I want to. But do you think that that is consistent with your Catholic values at this university? And when he ended, they gave him a standing ovation. When he went to Watts and he talked about the importance to black community of abiding with the law, they applauded him. When he went to the University of Alabama, which he had forcibly integrated by federalizing the National Guard with the United States troops five years before, he talked to them about the enduring importance of civil rights. They applauded him. When he went to the University of Kansas and gave a speech to 20,000 people and the kids in the auditorium, 
who were all corn-fed, Midwestern, pro-military, pro-Vietnam, and he talked to them for an hour about his evolution on the, and, and the, the, uh, the, the, the progression of the Vietnam War. And at the end of that, the applause was so thunderous that Jack Newfield, who was one of the reporters who was with him that time, said it felt like the roof was coming off of the auditorium. The students rushed the stage. They were throwing chairs. They just wanted to hear the truth. That's it. And the day he died, he won the, the, he won the California primary, the most urban state in this country, and the same day the South Dakota primary, the most rural. He had succeeded in uniting America and building that bridge just by telling people the truth. From Boston, Massachusetts, for KPFK, I'm Don DeBoer. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Hi, everyone. I know you've heard our fundraisers and likely thought, yeah, I should likely give something back to KPFK. Well, now's the time to do it. We all understand the value of separating luxuries from necessities and deciding what's truly essential. KPFK is one of those essentials. We provide in-depth, cutting-edge, intelligent coverage, and it starts with our amazing staff and volunteer programmers and with your financial support. Contributions from our listeners add up to the largest share of funding that pays the bills here at KPFK. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, encouraging you to become a KPFK Sustainers Circle member now. A sustaining contribution of just $20 or more a month is one of the most popular levels for our donors, and it takes just minutes to contribute. Just go to kpfk.org support, then click Sustainer Circle, or call 818-985-2711. Thank you so much for your donation to KPFK, radio powered by the people. Yes, become a sustainer. Go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online or call 818-985-5735. On this day, April 19th, 1943, there was one of the most heroic uprisings in human history. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. The best history of this uprising is the ghetto fights by one of the few surviving participants, Merrick Edelman. Edelman was a member of the youth group of the Bund, which was the Jewish Socialist Party of which the Zionists were bitterly hostile towards. In the years leading up to 1943, the Nazis had increasingly attacked the Jews. The Jewish Socialist Party, the Bund alone, fought back. All other Jewish groups opposed our action, Edelman writes. In other words, the Zionists were passive and did not want to fight back. Increasingly, the Jews were herded into the ghetto where they were isolated and starved. From throughout Poland, Jews were sent to the Warsaw 
ghetto, hundreds, thousands, too numerous for the Nazis to control by themselves. So they recruited what Edelman calls the best-known citizens into a Jewish council to govern the ghetto of the Nazis' behalf. Those caught sneaking outside were arrested. Meanwhile, reports began filtering into the ghetto of mass extermination of Jews, starving and weakened. The majority of the ghetto refused to face up to this reality but not the courageous few of the Bun youth who started making plans for armed resistance. The only other group that supported them was the left Zionist youth and not the mainstream Zionists who opposed resistance. In the early morning hours of April 19th, troops surrounded the entire ghetto, preparing to advance and kill on the spot or depart all the Jews. The resistance sounded the alarm and their fighters were at their battle stations. Throughout April, May, and into June, they fought on. One on the one side, the most modern and powerful army in the world. On the other, on the other side, a ragged band of youth armed with homemade grenades and a few pistols and rifles. Ultimately, they could not win, and they knew that from the start. Starved and even without water, running out of ammunition, in June, the fighters decided to end the battle. Some committed suicide rather than be taken by the Nazis. Others, a very few, managed to escape through the sewer system. Fortunately, Merrick Edelman was one of those few, and his short book, remains as a testimony to one of the greatest acts of rebellion of that period. After the war, Edelman continued to live in Poland, and towards the end of his life, he reportedly condemned Israel. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising deserves to be remembered every year. At the first in-person public meeting of the City of Los Angeles Reparations Advisory Commission, commissioners will, be, will present the city's plans to conduct an in-depth study of the harms experienced by black Angelinos. Community members will have a chance to respond with questions and public comment, as well as to meet the commissioners. The Reparations Advisory Commission is a blue ribbon task force composed of leading local voices in activism, academia, law, and racial justice, and is chaired by Michael A. Lawson, president and CEO of the Los Angeles Urban League and former ambassador in the Obama administration. Los Angeles Reparations Advisory Commission Committee members are Lawson, Kansa Jones, Mohammed, Mark Wilson, Manla Kaise, Katrina Vanderwood, Cheryl Harris, and Virgil Roberts. This community meeting is scheduled to take place Saturday, April 22nd, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the California African American Museum in Los Angeles at Exposition Park near USC. And now, international news from non-NATO media with Polina Vasiliev. For KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, here are today's international highlights with a special focus on non-NATO media. Continuing his tour of Latin America, Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov held talks with his Bolivian counterpart, where they discussed bilateral relations and outlined future plans. The top diplomats met in the Venezuelan capital, Caracas. While emphasizing the long history of relations between the two countries, Sergei Lavrov reminded his opposite number about the standing invitation for the country's president, Luis Arce, to visit Russia. 
The foreign minister also met with Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro in Caracas. Mr. Lavrov said both countries have an understanding on how to develop bilateral projects and to coordinate on the international arena while they discuss future plans and uniting economic efforts. Here's Lavrov. Nowadays, the collective West is trying hard to weaken independence across many regions in the world. That's why it's so important to unite efforts to counteract the attempts of diktat, blackmail and illegal unilateral pressure. Over the past few years, it's become clear to everyone that dependence on the US dollar, dependence on those principles of globalization that the Americans themselves have been introducing for many years, does not lead to any good. All these principles, including the free market, fair competition, the inviolability of property, the presumption of innocence, all these principles shared by the Americans and their allies can be broken in a day if they need to punish someone for disobedience, if they need to get their competitors out of the way. Both Russia and Venezuela condemned U.S. unilateral coercive measures, also known as sanctions. Here's Venezuela's foreign minister, Jorge Arriaza. We will always condemn the measures that apply to any country. The United States is systematically attacking our economy, trying to strangle it. And at the same time, they talk about opportunities to improve dialogue between Venezuela and them. But in fact, we have not seen any easing of sanctions and economic improvements. And we are telling the United States and Europe again that the sanctions should be lifted. Because until the sanctions are lifted, we will not be able to talk normally with these states. Mexico has expressed frustration over U.S. meddling after the latest leak of Pentagon documents revealed that Washington has been spying on its allies. Artis Che Bose has the details. Mexico's President López Obrador has been pulling no punches as he warns the U.S. that Mexico won't tolerate any repeat of their historical interference in his country's internal affairs. That's as recent media revelations about how the U.S. spies on its enemies and friends alike are highlighting increasing tensions with its closest neighbor. No se pueden. Acts of spying cannot be used to find out what our security institutions are doing and furthermore with the arrogance of leaking the information to the Washington Post. Obrador was referring to a leaked U.S. intel report that suggests increasing tensions within different branches of the Mexican army. Obrador later met with the U.S. ambassador, Ken Salazar, where he made it clear that Mexico will not accept American agents operating on Mexican soil. No pueden haber. There cannot be foreign agents in our country. No. We can share information, but it's members of the Mexican army, navy and national guard who can intervene. This all comes as the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency claims they've recently infiltrated one of Mexico's biggest drugs gangs, with 28 members of the infamous Sinaloa cartel facing charges for smuggling fentanyl into the U.S. Of course, the United States has form when it comes to covert operations in Mexico, with recently declassified documents even suggesting that back in the 70s and 80s, former President Jose Portillo was essentially a CIA asset. The memo was focused on JFK's assassination and how Lee Harvey Oswald had visited Mexico prior to the Dallas assassination. This led to a vast CIA surveillance operation where the CIA tapped phones and spied on senior Mexican politicians. Unsurprisingly, Portillo is not the only Mexican president alleged to have worked for the CIA, with numerous Mexican presidents being implicated as CIA operatives, 
from the 1950s right up to the 1980s. But it seems the current Mexican president is in no mood to play ball with the CIA. We're not a protectorate of the United States or a colony of the United States. We're not going to allow any foreign governments to intervene in our territory, much less the armed forces of a foreign government. Mexico is a free, independent, sovereign country. We do not receive orders from anyone. The people of Mexico govern here. They still have not abandoned the Monroe Doctrine. They do not want to change, so they believe they are the government of the world. They assume themselves to be the government of the world. So, as Mexico lays down the law to the White House, it seems unlikely that the US will change its behavior, with the unfortunate reality remaining that whether you're a friend or a foe, it seems Uncle Sam is watching and listening to your every move. Food prices in Europe continue to soar, and in France, they've risen almost three times the overall rate of inflation. Press TV's Raman Mazahari has more. At a rate of 6%, inflation in France is still at its worst since the 1980s. However, new data shows that all-important food prices continue to push to unseen levels, having leapt a whopping 16% since last year. I'm a shopkeeper, but I also grow wheat and raise cattle. So I can tell you that those who are raising their prices the most are the big corporations. The small producers suffered and tried for a long time not to raise their prices. But now everyone is raising their prices. For example, chicken is up 30% this year. From April through June, there will be price caps on certain goods, following last month's acceptance by major retailers and middlemen of a government initiative. It's expected to cost them hundreds of millions of euros. However, many say they can afford it. Ever-increasing corporate profits have been the norm across Europe since 2009. And in the post-COVID world, many analysts say that corporate price gouging, government-approved speculation, and stockholder profit hoarding are the hidden driver of Europe's high prices. We must take authoritarian measures. There's simply no other way. We must implement price controls, the indexing of wages to prices, and much more. But a government must have the will to do such things. And that takes us back to the necessity of choosing an alternative political path than our current model. Polls show that 96% of France agrees with the statement that some suppliers are opportunistically taking advantage of inflation. Opportunism aside, the soaring prices are the enduring result of the West's failed sanctions campaign against Russia over the long-term unrest in the Ukraine. Instead of sowing peace and reaping low prices, the European Union is finding that belligerence backfires, and especially for the average person. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasiliev. KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Well, 97 FM KPFK, the only place you will hear an eclectic mix of true diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, right? So I heard that diversity is being invited to the dance. And inclusion is being 
ass to dance. Well, here at KPFK, you invited and you could dance with us because it's listener supported. It's volunteer base, paid staff. We got a little bit of everything up here going on. And today, for sure, we got that generational KPFK workmanship going going on in the studio today. Why? Because my nephew is here with me. Remember I told you guys, see, I, I hope you guys I hope you guys know I'll be telling the truth when I'm telling my story here on the air. So that you guys can know just how KPFK is is a place of of learning and is a place of expansion for for me. And it's the same thing for everybody else here. If you take the time and, and hear their stories. So keep the family connection. Keep four generations strong with KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles and kickstart your involvement with me and my family with a subscription. Go to KPFK.org and click donate. Keep the momentum going. And I just want to personally thank you for being connected to us and keeping it going. Because I've been here since January 2009. I know that's a long time, right, as a volunteer, but I love it. I love being here. So keep providing a place for us, um, for families and friends to listen together. Go to kpfk.org and click donate or call 818-985-5735. Okay, well, comedian Russell Brown Brand appeared on Real Time with Bill Maher when he visited the U.S. this year. And he also visited Maher for an episode of his online podcast, Club Random, and critiqued the U.S. economic and political system. Dan Nauman has the story. Russell Brand joined Bill Maher recently on his online podcast, Club Random. And in part two of this conversation, they discuss class, critiquing the system, and how to bring people together rather than create divisions in order to make the world a better place. I hope you would concede that the greatest threat that come out of America as far as falling into authoritarianism came from Trump claiming that he did not lose an election he plainly lost and getting a giant chunk of his party to go along with that. And you think it's a greater threat that whoever wins an election, the changes, as we discussed on your show, are not going to be significant enough for most people. But that's the real threat. The, the real threat is, you know, the reason that the, most of the lobbying Look, money is split 50-50 is because they're perfectly fine with either party getting in. I, I've been hearing since I was a kid that, well, why don't people get in the streets? Things are so horrible. And it's like, I finally realized because for like probably a majority, but certainly a great preponderance of people in America, life just isn't this unremitting nightmare. And so, yes, do, as a liberal, do I believe for the people who life is a nightmare, we should constantly be working harder to make it so it's not for them? Yes, I do. Am I willing to give a big chunk of my money? And I do to alleviate that misery that we're all kind of in this together and it's not not just not cool if some people are really suffering. Yes, I do. But the reason why Bernie's, Bernie's don't get elected and there isn't people in the streets all the time is because most people are like, on a very basic level, they get it that, 
maybe America is actually still better than most places we could be. And I'm not really doing that bad. No one's actually starving. We have lots of problems and there are homeless on the streets and lots But, you know, I get up every day. I do what I want. I have material goods. The toilets work. Yes, it's a mess in a lot of ways. But, you know, am I going in the streets? No, I've got a meeting tomorrow for for something for my business, because this is still a country where I can start a business and and like I can reinvent myself. That's a lot of what people like about America. Is that face you're giving me because of the smoke or you because of what I'm saying? It's because, uh, <laughs> like, I think it's because of despondency and despair and a kind of uh, yes. castration of the spirit. That's what I think it is, is that people, by and large, don't believe. I, I, and I, I think that the phenomena of Trump could be regarded differently. I'm not talking about the, sort of the contested elections because my personal perspective is <laughs> it doesn't actually matter who gets in for a significant number of people. And I'm sure you're right when you're talking about like the professional class or coastal folk or most people that enjoy the affluence <laughs> that I've been afforded over my well, lucky little yes. life. But I, I also believe that hmm, I read a good book by a man called Mark Fisher, God rest his soul, though he was an atheist and won't thank me for saying that. He wrote a book called Capitalist Realism. He said that what ha- he, he believes that the great triumph of capitalism has been that we can no longer envisage a system beyond it. He said famously, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. People aren't even willing to Imagine that there's a possible, there's the possibility because of divorcing corporate and state interests. Because capitalism works. I'm not talking for about a great deal of people. That's why it's popular. It's this working a, less and less, though. I would say, in a way, people are on the streets. People have been on the streets, not in enormous numbers, protesting like for uh, an end to current conflicts. The Black Lives Matter protests, and obviously the movements uh, around That's Donald the- Trump, and the movements around masks, and the trucker protests, and all of the agricultural protests. Well, in Germany and Sri Lanka and Holland, all around the world, people are protesting. Do you know and a I've lot been, of people who have been in, at protests or in the streets? Because I don't know anybody. Uh, there are s- significant protest movements, but I think what there is is a, a clear lack of a real vision that probably since Clinton and Blair onwards, no one is suggesting anything other than the management of decline, kind of intimate bu- bureaucracies where we biometrically me- measure and manage our own health. No one's saying we could do something fantastic with America. Rhetorically, of course, great claims are made by either side, but no one's suggesting that we could reorganize society. No one's anticipating what the AI revolution is about to behold, the loss of jobs, the despair, the despondency, and that that, that is likely to engender. And we were sort of seeing a return to feudalism. In that beautiful film, uh, The House I Live In, uh, the great writer of that show, The Wire, said, um, you know, when it comes to the opioid crisis and the addiction crisis in your country, he said, why don't we just admit that in a post-manufacturing America, we've got no need for 20% of the population. They're redundant now. They're defunct. We can lose them. And sometimes I think it comes down to simple demographics, that this nation can carry a good many deeply dissatisfied and unhappy people. And by God, it looks like it is. Because this ain't nothing, all of this conflagration that's going on in this country, mostly uh, it's seemingly housed around the culture war, where I think they're quite happy for people to quibble and quarrel and roar, because ultimately that doesn't affect the interests of the kind of... uh, the, the elite establishment interest that I'm interested in addressing and that Bernie has tried to address. As you go through your day, now maybe I live in a charmed world. Of course you do. 
Of course I do. I don't think I live in <laughs> such a charmed world. When I was in my 20s, I was poor. It was, I got it. Like, you know, I'm working my way up and uh, there is opportunity and there's stumbles along the way and uh, there's lots of problems and we should keep working on them. But it's like, I don't know if it's going to get better by being massively uh, rewriting human nature, which is impossible, or the way the world is constructed. I think people are selfish. I think you have to always factor that in. Anytime you're developing any kind of economic system, people are selfish, and they will go toward what makes their life better. Hopefully not at the cost of somebody too much, but sometimes, you know. You believe in enlightened self-interest, but also I don't figure you for a misanthrope. I, uh, you don't, I don't feel that at the heart of your beliefs is people no. are bad. Because at the heart, at the core of my ideology is a, 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 not even a begrudging, but an optimistic love of humanity. And uh, my belief, Bill, is that if we enshrine, elevate, celebrate, and possibly even legislate the higher principles <laughs> about nature, compassion, uh, kindness, service, yes. unity, a willingness to sacrifice. And this is where it does get personal, because I have to ask myself, what are you willing to give up, Russell Brand, in order to live in a fairer world? And I'm that, not just talking about taxation, because by the way, affluent, like sort of mean a millionaire you know, entertainers ain't the issue. We're talking about billionaire I feel offshore like, corporations I, with unprecedented power that make the Carnegies and the Rockefellers look like sort of quaint little guys with Jackson dimes. You know, but I, lift, lift up the people who need lifting. I agree with this entirely. When you uh, say something like we should lift people up, I feel that there is no chance of that happening with the kind of entrenched systemic interests right. that we have now. Because yep. it, as they say yeah. in the circles I move in, it's not a bug, it's a feature. There is a requirement for endemic pro yeah. poverty. There yeah. is a requirement for a, a, an abandoned and suffering class of people. There is a requirement to distract us with conversations that, well, whilst I, important, I, will not I, alter the trajectory of I, ordinary people's lives. And do you know what? I agree with I, I all that. I can't help it. I, <laughs> I wish I could. Like, I mean, I don't mean I can't help the situation. I, I'm sure I can make some small contribution. The show I have now, I did this deal with Rumble. Yeah, I did you don't five need shows. Exactly. You it, don't it's need amazing. TV. Rumble, which yeah, is essentially like YouTube. You can say what you want. You can talk about what you want. And like for me, like freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of speech to right. sort of condemn and criticize people. It means freedom of speech no, to I'm, attack establishment and look for ways to bring people together. I'm interested in, I suppose, a reemergent populism. And I feel that this, like a left-wing populism, as it was initially intended to be, it was assumed there will be an accompaniment to the trade union movement, a true populare, the empowerment of people, as much democracy as possible, as much control over community as right. possible, or a real ability to confront establishment power and even state power. The, the, two, the, the, the two heads of the Hydra being a, an over-empowered state and an over-empowered corporate world. And now that we have those things essentially combined in absolute symbiosis. When I hear about this I'm like, is it really a bunch of just right-wingers or is it really free speech? So this is how I approach this. Like, People should be able to believe politically what they want to believe. It, it, it seems to me that if you're on the libertarian right that you would believe in people's right for freedom of expression right on the, what is currently regarded as the far left. Whether, you know, if you want to be right. left alone, you should be left alone to be who you want to be. And in fact, some kind of truce around traditionalism and progressivism seems to be the, the 
a necessary one at this point. Look, you be as progressive as you want to be. You be as traditional as you want to be. Right. Just leave each other alone. We're going to kill each other over this right. stuff. We've got bigger <laughs> fish to fry. Right. I do believe in freedom. Right. But I feel that you cannot have that freedom without an open dialogue and an open discourse around all of these subjects and the ability to make mistakes and the ability to be wrong and to resolve these issues collegiately and collectively with in good faith, not be looking for ways to, to find easy sort of to tag it back to Trump or to tag it to this and to me and they'd like to there has to be sort of some good faith arguments let's really talk this is Dan Nowman for Rebel Alliance News on KPFK here is Pedro Baez of the Earl of Ari Hutchison show with a commentary on gun violence the Gun Violence Archive says there is an average of roughly 115 deaths each day in the U.S. Canada tightened restrictions on gun ownership. Licenses became required for shotguns and rifles, and those firearms had to be registered with authorities. Similar rules already apply to handguns. Australia's would-be gun owners now face a national registry, a 28-day wait period, and a licensing process that requires demonstrating a valid reason for owning a gun. Australia also reframed gun ownership from being an inherent right, as it is only in a handful of countries like the United States, to become a privilege that citizens have to earn. Every mass shooting is in some sense a fringe event, driven by one-off factors like the ideology or personal circumstances of the shooter. The risk is impossible to fully erase. Still, the record is clear confirmed by reams of studies that have analyzed the effects of policies like those in Canada, Britain, and Australia. When countries tighten gun control laws, it leads to lower and fewer guns in private citizens' hands, which leads, of course, to less gun violence and to fewer mass shootings. In addition to Canada tightening gun laws after a 1989 mass shooting, Germany did so in 2002, New Zealand in 2019, and Norway last year. Only the U.S., whose rate and severity of mass shootings is without parallel outside of conflict zones like the Ukraine, has so few consistently refused to answer those events with tightened gun laws. And that's because of the National Rifle Association, a.k.a. NRA. This is what we have to eliminate here if we want to see less shootings and more of our citizens being safe. For KPFK and the Rebel Alliance News, this is Pedro Baez. Thank you. And here are some tips from the Rebel Alliance News Community Calendar. So what it is, KPFK? You guys know what time it is. Community Calendar time. All right. The Virginia Beckett Food Pantry of Inglewood First United Methodist Church will be passing out bags of groceries Thursday, April 20th from 9.45 a.m. to 12 noon at 304 East Spruce Avenue in Inglewood. This is a monthly community event on the third Thursday of every month. Please stop by if you or someone you know is in need of food. African-American Male Wellness Agency presents Real Men, Real Talk Los Angeles, discussing their state of mind and the everyday stresses that they deal with by breaking the stigma of mental health amongst black men. 
Thursday, April 20th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Culver Studios, 936-9336 Washington Boulevard in Culver City. For more information about this free event, check out aawellness.org under events. Charisma Entertainment presents the return of 510, the World Music Fusion Band, to perform their their May Music Melodies concert, a single-day mile celebration, Wednesday, May 3rd, at the Catalina Jazz Club, 6725 West Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Doors open at 7 p.m. The show starts at 8.30 p.m. For more information, go to CatalinaJazzClub.com. Follow 510 on all social media platforms. Black Women for Wellness Earth Day Celebration engages interactive, gentle movement and journaling session in nature at Stone View Nature Center, Saturday, April 22nd, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Bring a yoga mat and a journal. Register at bwwla.org. Margaret Love and her lovettes want to see your face in the place at Roscoe's Jazz Lounge. Sunday, April 23rd, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 730 East Broadway in Long Beach. To RSVP, call 562-437-8355. The African American Cultural Center of Long Beach presents a local artist showcase Friday, April 21st. 5.30 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the Expo Art Center, 4321 Atlantic Avenue in Long Beach. Go to acclb.org under events for more info. The April Parker Foundation and the Long Beach Public Library celebrate motherhood fashion with a special Mother's Day gift a free portrait session for single mothers of the BIPOC community to say thank you for all that you do for your family. Saturday, April 29th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Spots are limited. Register at Eventbrite. Search for April Parker Foundation, Mommy and Me, Picture Day. NAMI Walks of Greater Los Angeles County invites you to join them for the Mental Health Fest and Walk, Saturday, April 29th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Los Angeles State Historic Park. For information about this free event, check out namiwalks.org forward slash L.A. County. Miles Ahead of Cancer continues to honor the legacy of their son, who was diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of three. Join them at Walk for Kids on Saturday, April 29th at the Pasadena Rose Bowl Stadium. For details, go to Miles, that's M-Y-L-E-S, aheadofcancer.org. Get ready for Los Angeles Times Festival of Books at USC, Saturday, April 22nd to Sunday, April 23rd. This is a free event. Range Projects Gallery presents From the Edges exhibit with artists Juan Sil Kim and Peggy Sivert. This exhibit runs until April 30th at Range Projects Gallery, 3718 West Slauson Avenue in Los Angeles. Call 323-738-2689 
for more details. Julia Smith is the curator. Rage Projects gallery hours are Thursdays, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Fridays and Saturdays, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Meet M. Pukamut for weekly Kasataishi Shawan sessions on Zoom Tuesdays and Fridays at 8.30 a.m. Saturdays live in Lemur Park, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. For more information, call 213-447-7700. Join Stop LAPD Spying Coalition Community Meetings weekly Tuesday nights on Zoom at 6 p.m. Visit StopLAPDSpying.org or Facebook for details. Check out their program on KPFK Morning Mix, Radio Insurrection, Thursdays, 8 a.m. with Hamid Khan. For no-cost produce distributions taking place at clinics in Los Angeles County, visit dhs.lacounty.gov. To find food pantries near you in the USA, go to foodfinder.us. To locate a Los Angeles Tenants Union meeting in your area online or over the phone, visit latenantsunion.org. For mental health resources, crisis support, helplines, and warm lines, go to namiurbanla.org under resources. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions. You've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. KPFK is a non-commercial, listener-sponsored educational radio with programming for your open mind as well as your heart, your spirit, your physical wellness, and your social connections. KPFK is your key to peacemaking freedom, and knowledge. Did you hear me? KPFK is your key to peacemaking, freedom, and knowledge. Yes, the PF in our call letters stand for Pacifica Foundation, a nonprofit that for 75 years has lived up to its mission of promoting peace and understanding among people of all nations, all creeds, all colors, and all philosophies. Unlike some commercial or public radio stations, we won't be changing our brand or our mission. But we need your support to stay the course and renew and refresh our commitment to and our engagement with new generations and new communities. And we know about those new generations because we talked about generational listening. We have my nephew here, William Owens. And, you guys, we have a volunteer. He's been here for maybe two hours right now. Darrell Lee. You, too, can come and volunteer. You, too, can come and do so many different things here. Because we're looking for a volunteer coordinator, as a matter of fact. However, right now, we need you to become a sustainer. Go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online. Can you guys do that? Go to kpfk.org and maybe you can start your generational KPFK family with us like I'm doing. Third generation, fourth generation. So help us rebuild and imagine what community radio should do. Okay, well, thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy. 
and all Rebel Alliance news contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. And coming up next is Feminist Magazine. This is KPFK 90.7 FM. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. This is KPFK. If you don't already know about it, it's really time to discover KPFK. KPFK is community radio from Southern California, powered by people like yourself for over 62 years. It's part of the completely unique Pacifica Network, and our listener sponsors are passionate. We've routine sponsors are passionate. We've routinely heard them say things like, It is the best 